This time on the Thrower Chronicles radio show, special guest Keith Murphy DeConcini from Disability Empowerment Now, Part 1. Recorded in Tucson, Arizona on June 19th, 2021, I sit down with Keith Murphy DeConcini to discuss his upcoming series, Disability Empowerment Now, Living with Cerebral Palsy and Becoming an Advocate for Other People with Disabilities. This conversation includes how Keith's acting in theater breaking through barriers and his pursuit of his two master's degrees inspired him to start his own podcast. But first, Keith and I discuss our mutual love for film noir, the published works of Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammond, and the movie starring Humphrey Bogart. Once again, this is the Fedora Chronicles radio show, and I'm your host, Eric Fisk. Thank you for listening. Let's get started here. This is a very special episode of the Behind the Pod edition of the Fedora Chronicles radio show. And I have traveled thousands of miles to sit down here with my good friend, Keith Murphy DeConcini. And the thing is, is like Keith is probably becoming one of my fastest friends because we have so much in common. I came into his his house, what was it, Friday afternoon after my flight? Thursday. Thursday. It was Thursday. Okay. And Keith has on the wall various copies of, and I'm going to get it right this time, because <laughs> when we rehearsed this, I got it wrong. Yeah. I was so exhausted. I, it's like I mixed up Dashiell Hammett with Raymond Chandler. Yeah. He's giving me the evil eye right now. Yeah. How can you mix up those two? Yeah. Um, you're a big fan of Raymond Chandler. Yeah. And Dashiell Hammett, uh, when I was in undergrad in Vermont, I read The Big Sleep on a Whim, and I wanted to write film noir-type novels, or they're more commonly known as crime novels. Yep. Short sentences, hard boil anxiety. I even had a 15 part book series all planned out uh, and I barely got to the first few chapters of the first book so yeah, you'll get back to it someday yeah. if, if it's what you really want to do you'll get back to it uh, you're also a, a huge um, fan of the movie Casablanca Yes, uh, when people ask me what my favorite movie is, I'd say Casablanca, bar none. Uh, I adore that movie. It made me uh, fall in love uh, with deep respect for Humphrey Bogart and all he achieved in his professional life. Uh, And I've seen a number of his movies like Casablanca and The Mortis, Falcon Big, The Big Sleep on repeat viewings. I can put them on and 
it's like I've I'm seeing them for the first time all over again. Oh yeah, that excitement and rapture of getting sucked in to a bygone era. Uh, it's intoxicating, and uh, he was. The modes are one of the most unlikely actors uh, because he was relatively short mm-hmm. uh, compared to the average movie star uh, height. Uh, and he also had a bit of a lips. Uh, and... So, yeah, but he could play a villain, play a romantic hero. He's one of my all-time idols. If you ask me if I could have dinner with uh, anyone, any three people, uh, living or dead. Uh, The thirds would be Abraham Lincoln, Mozart, and Humphrey Bogart. I don't think you can go wrong with that list. No, no. I mean, just imagining that conversation is like... Yes. Yeah. Three... Three different men from three different eras. Yeah. Uh, it's just like I, I can't get enough of Humphrey Bogart. I have a huge box set of his best love movies. Yeah. Uh, and he's just, he was an incredible actor and an incredible family man, incredible sailor, uh, incredible environmentalist. Uh, We need more uh, men with values like that in today's world. Yeah, you're absolutely totally right. I completely, totally agree with you on every single part. Every single one of your explanations and why oh, Humphrey Bogart so much. Uh, the fourth person would be John Denver. John Denver. Yeah, because why not uh, mix it up again uh, in uh, just a wonderful uh, down to earth human being? Yeah. Uh, my choices reflect a lot about who I wish I could eventually become, uh, except Mozart. Uh, he had more than a bit of an ego uh, yeah. to him. Uh, that's uh, one of the earliest uh, tragic uh, childhood stardoms uh, that's 
really went downhill uh, not too long after. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, all of uh, the people I mentioned, I have extreme respect for, and it would be fun uh, just to get them all in one room and throw back a couple of beards with them. I, I would have so many questions for each of them, uh, and hopefully one day in the hereafter I'll get that opportunity because I have a truck load or several truck loads of questions for each of them. Uh, They're my idols even though uh, I really don't like that phrase. It's become more Pache in American yeah, it's, it's, culture, uh, particularly. Uh, but you have everyone should have people they look up to, both living and dead. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So we have a, a love and a passion for film noir and Humphrey Bogart movies. Yeah. And another thing that we have in common is podcasting. Yeah. But before I get into that, Let's talk a little bit about you, yeah, and talk about let's uh, who's Keith and 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 what is what what is it about Keith that makes Keith such an awesome guy? Let's <laughs> no, see, I mean, no, seriously, I mean, yeah, I, I, I've gotten to know you over the yeah. this is like the third day I've been here in yeah. in Arizona, and we've been working um at working on your hardware for yeah. your podcast, and it's like uh. You're you are actually a, quite a terrific guy, and I th- and I also think that you sell yourself short. To be honest with you, guilty. Yeah. Um, so tell tell us about yourself. Let's let's get into who Keith is and and your background, and to, um, we'll, we'll talk we'll talk about how you're um, looking at my show notes here that we worked on together. You know, talking about you being a, a multifaceted disability advocate and actor. Let's start with your life story in a nutshell. Yeah. Uh, so I was born on October 30th, 1984. Uh, I actually uh, was born three months premature. Um, Locking in my bed weight at two pounds, 11 ounces. Uh, and my mother said I couldn't wait to taste candy, which is why I graced <laughs> uh, her with my presence a day before Halloween. Uh, it's it's interesting to have or know the birthday that you have was three months too early. Um, that's a very interesting uh, revelation. Uh, had I not been premature, my birthday would have 
been January 30th, 1985. Um, but I probably wouldn't have fallen into the line of work uh, I currently am. Besides being a multifaceted advocate and actor, I have also been a singer, a poet, a lyricist, a published author, a public speaker, uh, mainly to faith communities, uh, talking about disability and the Bible, disability and pop culture. So I'm a bit of a jack of all trades, uh, kind of, and my my advocate did see had stemmed from the realization that people with disabilities, uh, particularly people with hidden disabilities, quote unquote, are more often than not discriminated against to a alarming degree. Uh, ableism, which is the discrimination against people with disabilities, for said disabilities, because they're outside the quote-unquote norm, uh, is what racism and sexism would be had racism and sexism not been so well documented and debated throughout the decades. Uh, and I don't make that comparison light uh, I make it with uh, great reverence uh, to uh, what uh, people in the African-American community uh, and women have suffered, in particularly throughout uh, this country's history, and then you have gay people, LGBTQ plots, and you have a fear of immigration. Uh, and so we're all telling, unfortunately, a story of collective shared trauma uh, which is discrimination ongoing. It's just some of our chapters are better told than others. Right. Uh, and that is where advocates like me and so many others uh, that I interact with on a um, biweekly basis that's why we do advocacy, 
Kurds. If we don't, who will? Yeah, exa- exactly. Uh, and uh, one of the things that we had talked about earlier, and I want to kind of like get it back on this and touch upon this, is that it was like um, recently I've started working with horses, and my wife and I, yeah. my, my wife got me into working with horses, and it's like there's something spiritually healing about horses, and and you had an experience with equine therapy that yeah. helped you with your cerebral palsy. Would you yeah. mind? Would you mind talking about that a little? Yeah. So before I get to that, uh, my mother really spared no expense uh, in getting me a very tiny preemie, her tiny preemie. Uh, the all the therapy. I could possibly need to catch up to my peers in reaching developmental milestones, uh, be that advanced physical therapy, uh, occupational therapy, speech therapy, Enhance reading comprehension programs mm-hmm. are equine therapy, which is basically therapeutic horseback riding. Uh, and I credit uh, that specifically with, I don't want to say fix, but helping to engineer my gait uh, movement. Had I not had equine therapy, that's a really weird word if you don't really see it too often. Uh, Had I not had that therapy in particular when I did, I don't think I would be able to walk. And that's how important uh, therapies are, medical therapies. And we'll get into a discussion later on about the medical model versus the social model of disability. But like my mother never tired uh, with reminding me it's for as much flack as I give the medical model uh, which seeds which views disability as a problem of the person and it must be fixed by that person or by medical professionals. Uh, And the social model is the complete opposite of that. Uh, But my mother likes to remind me that Without these medical therapies at the very beginning of my life on this planet, 
I would not be where I am today. Right. Uh, and so there's a great reverence I have for therapies when they're done right and when they are done with the objective to benefit the person because I've lived those therapies. Another thing that we talked about a lot over the past couple of days is we were talking about your acting. Yeah. And how your acting brought you to the idea of, of doing Disability Empowerment Now podcast, which we'll talk about a little later. Tell us about your acting and how, how did you get the acting bug? So uh, I've been very blessed to call New York City my home. And my parents, I'm very fortunate that they took me to theater uh, at a very young age. Uh, I often make the slide jets that my parents bathed me in Broadway, mm-hmm. which is very substantial. Uh, so theater has always been a part of my life. But from a fan's perspective, it wasn't until uh, I saw a performance called Public Servant by Theater Breaking Through Barriers, or TBTB for short, uh, that's New York-based theater company that really champions disability actors, writers, uh, directors, and the like. Uh, And the reason why I saw Public Servant is that a few years prior, uh, the theater company I was working for, Arizona Theater Company, did this marvelous production of The Diary of Anne Frank. And the actress who played Anne Frank was also in Public Servant. Uh, and this was a off-Broadway production. And so I came to support my friend, uh, who I thought hardly of and still do. And so after the performance, I really hit it off with the artistic director, Nick. And at that time, I was just planning on eventually joining their board of directors because art management, I've always been a behind-the-scenes sort of guy when it came to my appreciation of art and theater unless I'm in the audience cheering on the performers. 
they feed a break into billiards several times a year do what is called Playmakers Intensive Workshops. Uh, and the one uh, that was directly after the performance I saw, uh, I got a call from Nick uh, wanting me to participate in the workshop. I didn't think much of it. Uh, I'm kicking myself in the back of my head for not thinking much of it. Uh, that's how unaware I was yeah, of yeah. what I was stepping into. But I loved it, and I got to walk opposite opposite uh, Nick's wife uh, in the performance and ever since the pandemic began they've had five uh, virtual uh, playmakers intensives and I've acted in three of them and uh, the first one uh, over Zoom, they're all over Zoom, I got to act opposite a actor in trance. So because of the pandemic, TBTB has not only been a national theater company, but they're also a international theater company because of video conference capabilities that would not have happened because uh, doing uh, theater remotely is kind of the last great taboo of theater. Uh, but it's because of the pandemic yeah. that they, like many other companies, had to think outside of their comfort zone. And I, and so I acted in three short plays in less than a year, three very diverse roles I've gotten paid for them, which, again, it's not something I even dreamed about when the pandemic yeah. started. So it's it's been a very interesting journey. Uh, I would have never expected to add the title of actor to my resume because I was always the fan. I, I never dreamt of getting up on stage, but theater breaking through barriers really saw uh, something in me and 
took a chance and they keep calling, they keep texting me, they keep emailing me and I'm like, I've got leads 30 to 40 years left in me, I might as well use uh, them because it's really fun acting. It's really a blast getting to know your fellow actors and getting to work with new people and people you've worked with in the past. And so I really enjoy every experience that I'm afforded because I happened to go to the right show and hit it off afterwards with a very good charismatic charismatic yeah tongue tied artistic director Uh, that is a really special part of my life and a really unique story that I didn't plan on telling or being involved with. It's funny, life, you can spend life making plans and it's often life that sneak up on you while you're making other plans and that's exactly what acting was for me. I mean, when Broadway actors who I do meet and greets with uh, virtually say they want to act with me, I freak out inside because I'm still a fan, but they can appreciate and see the passion in my eyes. Yeah, you do. You do, you do. You are very charismatic yourself too. I mean, you are a talker. That's yeah. That's for sure. Which is why podcasting is such a great outlet for you. Now, one of the things that also astonished me is that you're, you're also an accomplished academic. You have two master's degrees. And yes. The story about how you got your master's degree is phenomenal. And I, I wonder if we can capture magic in a bottle twice by you yeah. telling me about how you went about getting your master's. So my mother had read me an article just after I graduated with my B.A., in creative writing. Uh, This new trend was that companies were looking for people with graduate-level degrees for entry-level positions. And I was like, oh, great. I know what that means. I'm going back to school. Yeah. Uh, except I had already gotten the degree I wanted in creative writing. 
And so I really had no idea what I would study uh, beyond that. Uh, And my mother was a public administrator, a art administrator. That's another avenue. Uh, And so I studied public administration uh, as a ode to her and her passion uh, for administration. Uh, and about halfway through the degree, uh, they wanted me to pick a concentration. And if I didn't like any, I could create my own uh, at the University of Arizona. Uh, And so I chose to create my own in disability studies. The problem is, late then, there weren't a lot of courses about disability or related to disability except in special education or rehabilitation or public health. And so with some expert research help from my life coach at the time, I was able to discover that's masters in disability studies from the City University of New York School of Professional Studies. And so, and because I'm already from New York yeah. and am very lucky to have a place there, I just moved out there and just like the acting, I really got so much more involved with the court's work and the papers that when it was over, sure, I wanted to come back to Tucson, but I was really going to miss that program after the 12 credits I got uh, for my concentration. I found out, not shortly after I left, that I basically did half of their master's degree. Uh, So I paused that degree uh, came back here to Tucson, uh, finished up my public administration, got involved with a medical fellowship called Arizona Land, which is leadership and education in no developmental in other related disabilities. So in my wheelhouse, kind of, mm-hmm. the medical public health jargon 
went over my head most of the time. Uh, And then I came back to New York and uh, finished the my second master's degree this time in disability studies and I got uh, inducted into uh, the Natural Society of Leadership and Success which is uh, their version of a honored society slash Greek life, what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, even though I really enjoyed the workload in my master's in disability studies, I would not have found that program had I not been asked or required to create a concentration so out of the box in terms of academia. And I owe that to the University of Arizona and the teachers in the Masters in Public Administration. Uh, Because as I was saying yesterday, uh, English degrees map uh, public policy, political science, those degrees have been around for decades upon decades. Disability studies, however, has been around about 20 years, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. That's brand spanking new for a academic field. And so... But again, had I not been in the first master's program uh, that I was in in the University of Arizona, I'm not sure it something else would have led me to the second. So... Yeah, I have great endearing respect for both my degrees and the faculty who in both programs believed in me, pushed me sometimes far outside my comfort zone academically because they cared a lot. Yeah. about seeing me and everyone they taught succeed. And that's wonderful. So tell me more about the approach to treating people with disabilities. And and and, and, and what does society get wrong in treating people with, with, with disabilities? 
Well, uh, the three most common uh, modes of treatment of disability are as followed. The medical model, which identifies disability as purely a problem of the one individual and it's up to that individual to reach out to medical professionals to help them help themselves in purging or severely lessening the disability. The rehabilitation model takes a softer sense and just focuses on the person adapting to said disability mm-hmm. and getting to as close quote-unquote normal existence mm-hmm. as they can. The social model, which is, again, the brand spanking new uh, model in the field, uh, looks at disability and discrimination in a whole new light. It views disability not as a problem, an uh, inherent problem, rather it views societal attitudes, barriers, employment, interpersonal relationships, uh, lack of access, you can go on and on, as the true uh, disability, uh, blocking a person from reaching their peak, uh, what they want to get out of life. Uh, I will speak about my cerebral palsy. I know about 15 advocates, mostly women, who have cerebral palsy, and each of them are going to tell you a different story. There may be some overlap, but not much. Uh, So with me, and all harking back to, again, one of the reasons why I adore Humphrey Bogart so much it's because he had a lips which is a sort of speech difficulty impediment what I refer to as a accent Uh, it's true I had special needs learning disabilities uh, made 
pursuing academics so much harder. But if if you consider me special needs when all I want and desire at the end is to be loved and accepted for who I truly am. If that's the definition of special needs, congratulations. <laughs> we all have special needs. Uh, disability is not a dirty word. It is not a some sort of uh, medical kink or uh, anything like that. Disability is a fine word. It's a variation on what is considered the normal quote-unquote existence. Uh, People with disabilities really want to work, uh, but the uh, natural unemployment of people with disabilities is three times that of their non-disabled or not yet disabled or temporarily abled bodied peers or tabs as we uh, refer to them. And so my if I didn't have the speech impediment that I did no one outside of a medical professional would be able to tell. I have cerebral palsy. It is not progressive. It is not transferable to my part. No, all, all eventual children. It, it's not like sex appeal or charisma. Hey, I said it right. Uh, but <laughs> congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and so, and what's more is personally, people think when they hear my voice that I'm either drunk. Uh, on recreational drugs uh, and the fact that I'm Irish and like to drink don't help those matters or I must not be right in the head uh, and cerebral palsy while it is a developmental disability, you either get it before you are three or you don't get it. It's not a disorder that happens later in life. Uh, and 
but because it's a developmental disability, people think that it must also impact one's cognitive and intelligence abilities. Nothing could be further from the truth. What cerebral palsy does is it affects the motor capabilities, the movements, yeah. or lack thereof, of a person. Right. Sure, other disabilities, other diagnoses that do or can affect uh, intelligence or cognitive abilities can be partnered with uh, cerebral palsy. But that isn't always the case. In fact, most people that I meet who have cerebral palsy have average to above average intelligence you're not a dumb guy yeah you're a very smart guy and he and well it took me a while to get used to your speech pattern once i got used to the the way that you talk you never forget it well no but not only that though i mean no i mean the thing is it's like it's like just listening to you yeah getting used to your speech pattern and after a while it, it's like i I don't notice it as much as I used to because you, you're just so articulate. Yeah, I, I'd i say give me a few minutes of your time anywhere from two to five. That's usually all it takes uh, for your ear to adjust to my cadence. Uh, sometimes a bit longer, sometimes shorter but like I said I used to be a singer I don't have the traditional odd uh, singing voice neither did Bob Dylan yeah. <laughs> neither did Leonard Cohen uh, I mean I'm a tenor uh, I can go really low in my vocal registries and I can also blast off high into soprano. Uh, one of my favorite singers and that's it's another add to that let's uh, it's Freddie Mercury. Love Freddie Mercury. The greatest singer in rock history in my opinion the greatest uh, showman to ever walk the entertainment yeah. spear uh, and I mean but he didn't have a usual voice in fact before he became a singer, or when he was just starting out, he had a buck tooth some... He had a severe overbite. Yeah, severe overbite. And so some people do... In fact, most people 
can do and often do do extraordinary things. Yeah. Even if they're not aware of it themselves in the moment. And so getting to the concept of den, uh, disability empowerment now, uh, I would say my last semester uh, at CUNY, and I was feeling very anxious because I was about to graduate and I didn't want to leave. And I was looking for resources online from other disability advocates addressing how a brand new professional advocate can be the most effective. Yeah. And while I did find some uh, results and some very good articles and podcasts, nothing that really scratched that itch of exploring empowerment, particularly in relating it to the next generation of Mm -hmm. advocates. And originally, because I'm a writer, I came from two professional writers, I was going to do interviews and then type them up in blog posts. But then I remembered uh, very rightly that Fellow advocates don't like their stories being told by anyone but themselves. Uh, Yeah, we were talking about that a lot yesterday. Yeah, and so I shifted my business model uh, and my concept to doing a podcast and letting their unfiltered voice and unfiltered passion come through. Uh, And that's what led me to creating uh, the podcast. But then I also had to scratch my writing edge because that's what I am the most a writer. Uh, I'm a big gamer. Uh, I have been ever since I started playing Sonic the Hedgehog and Super Mario. So way back. Way back when. Yeah, yeah, way back when. And but it wasn't in. It wasn't even ten. Years ago, that entertainment companies began to address and explore disability and all mental illness in their games and have 
in some instances, a entire game surrounding mental illness. One of the most profound uh, examples is a game called Hellblade Sinuous Sacrifice, developed by Ninja Theory, about a Picton warrior in uh, the ninth century in Iceland who goes on a vision quest by herself because she's hearing voices right. in her head. Uh, she later realizes uh, she had a psychosis and couple that with returning to her village and finding her lover and her entire tribe were massacred brutally by the Viking, by the Vikings. Uh, and so the whole first game it's really you unpacking and going on this very deep, very intense personal journey with this character. Yeah. And what impressed me so much in uh, listening to the commentary from the developer is they said if this game makes tons of money and increases stigma of mental illness. We have failed. Mm -hmm. We have not done our job. They spent so much time on crafting a very authentic, empathetic journey for the character. It's not an easy journey to sit through. Right, right. But it is true to form. And uh, when you listen to it on headphones, you can actually hear the voices that she's hearing in her head, in your head. So you... As you're playing as the character, you become imbued with those voices. Ten years ago, no company would ever, ever take such a risk. No. And so the blog that... I'm developing alongside the podcasts will be able to go outside of the disability empowerment angle. And the first real series of articles will be around video game depictions of disability and mental illness because over the last six years there are a lot yeah. and over the last 
Fifteen-year-olds? There are not many. This is a brand new wake-up call that the entertainment industry took it upon themselves to explore concepts like this, and most of them do it with an incredible reverence and empathy and want to pass that on to the player. So that is going to be the first few dozen articles that I do. Had the pandemic not happened, or the vaccine rollout uh, been a lot smoother than it was, I would start with that uh, series of articles. But because it took my family and I three months to finally get me vaccinated on a whim, uh, because three young professionals at my alma mater uh, had empathy for my struggle. Uh, And I still remember it all like it happened yesterday, even though it happened in April. Uh, And so that long article, which is very timely, uh, and I know I'm far from alone in vaccine woes, that's going to be the first article, and then I'm going to launch into the entertainment angle surrounding disability and mental illness. And so the blog and the podcast combined, plus the website, which is going to house all my previous bona fides, uh, in disability research uh, and academia. All of it is going to paint a very honest, frank, and hopefully empathetic picture of what disability advocacy can and should be. But like I mentioned to you yesterday, it it would be great if uh, people would remember my name and the podcasts and the good work that we do. However, if I had to choose between people remembering my name mm-hmm. and the work that the podcasts and the blog, I would hands down pick remember the podcasts. Remember how it made you feel after each and every episode. 
every episode is going to be unique to that guest, but they're all going to be overlap. Like, I am going to ask my guests to have five suggestion action items for empowerment advocacy that the listeners can take away with them. I'm also going to ask them why people with disabilities should care with what we just talked about. And more importantly, why listeners who aren't yet disabled should care very deeply and very passionately about disability, advocacy, rights, and justice. And beyond those two uh, crossovers of every episode, every episode is going to be as unique as the person I am talking to just like you are talking to me right now. Yeah, I'm just asking a couple of questions and just letting you go, just t- talking about, you know, your mission and stuff like that. And that's that's the other thing that it's like I, I'm really impressed by you is that you are just so incredibly articulate and you are so very well um, well-versed and intelligent on, on the topic matter and stuff like that. That's countless out of speech therapy and my deep reverence for William Shakespeare, and that's another person. So, uh, uh, <laughs> so it's instead five now. of an intimate dinner, I'm now getting together a small party of. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the. You have to find things, topics, people, causes that light up your life Mm -hmm. or make you mad as hell. And all you can do is try to change what, what makes you mad, what makes you angry about them. And so, again, it's... When therapy is done right, you have countless examples, like myself being one, that you can hear and learn from and someday see as you're walking down the street or wherever. And but when medical therapy loses that mark of bettering the patients for the patient's benefit and not some societal uh, misconception, That is where I have a problem with the medical model versus the social model, which 
much more accurately addresses the real problem, which is the society. I cannot tell you how many dates have bailed on me because for some reason people think that people with cerebral palsy can't have sex, which is absolute. I don't know what medical textbook, what uh, all-knowing Bible or holy book you're getting <laughs> that very wrong misconception from. But again, it, it's like I would much rather a date a parent or a little child act me the tough questions then go with what they feel or think or what their friends or family think because if I can't talk about these issues and and talking about them repeatedly out after hour through a day, it's a different story. But if I can't do interviews like this and be frank and open about what I'm not going to get around because it pops out of my throat every time I open my mouth, yeah. then I'm not going to be very good at my job and neither will anyone else who is struggling with uh, being effective uh, or self-doubting uh, themselves and the beautiful story and unique gifts they have to give the world. And that's what I hope people tune in to Disability Empowerment now for it's not to be inspired, it's to be motivated to change the world around them and the greatest change we can start with is within ourselves. That's not jumping on toxic positivity uh, or anything like that. Authenticity It's the name of the game. It's the playbook alongside love, which is what we all want. So when you have authenticity and you have love, you are doing something extremely right and I know it sounds cheesy, but if you have those two 
things, feelings, emotions in your life, you are more blessed than 98 to 99% of your fellow humans. Mm -hmm. Because you get by authenticity, and you certainly can't by love. The Beatles wrote a song about that, so yeah. you know it's true. And well, now which one is like which what song are we talking about? All you need is love, or you can't buy me love. Can't buy uh-huh. me love. Yeah, but all you need is love. I mean, that's the name of the game right there. I mean, the Golden Rule treat. Uh, your neighbor as yourself. You can divorce that from every religious connotation and it's still gonna stand up on its own. You can put it back in to religious connotation and it's still gonna stand up on its own. Uh, If you have authenticity, love, and a supreme reverence for treating others like you want to be treated, then you will do more good than you can ever possibly imagine just by being a decent, uh, genuine human being. That's the name of the game, and that's what I hope uh, people take away uh, from the advocates that I interview that will just like you've given me free range to talk about whatever comes to mind. That's going to be exactly what I do because it's it's not about me. It's about them, their passion, right. and their empowerment story, their struggles. Uh, and hopefully people can learn. I mean... How you live your life may change how someone else lives their life. And you may or may not ever know about it. But that's the brilliance of interconnectedness. Someday you will know. Pieces will fit together. And mysteries like my voice will no longer be mysteries. Thank you. You're t- I, I want to close by saying this. Um, I've been inspired by you these past couple of days. Um, You've you, you shown a light on the meaning of life, the purpose of life, in a way for me that I've I've never really sort of like really focused on. And it's like, well, Carol and I were talking over dinner last night. Um, you know, it's like she says, like, like what, what's your mission statement? What's your, what's your mission? And it's like, for me, 
it's it's telling stories and allowing other people to tell stories and and you and i have that in common being able to like just give somebody just and it just give them an open mic and let them tell your stories I am such a firm believer in, you know, disability empowerment now because you and I are kind of on the same, on the same team, as it were, giving people the opportunity to tell their stories. And it's like, I, I really am looking forward to working with you over the next couple of years and getting this off the ground. I'm sitting here and I'm thinking to myself, you have an amazing story. You, in and of yourself, you have an amazing story. And a part of that amazing story that you have is that you want to help other people tell their stories on your platform. That's a really unselfish thing to do. Yeah. That is. And it's like, I mean, it's just like, I, I mean, you say these things, you have these like little pearls of wisdom that give me goosebumps. And it was just like, this is probably one of the most powerful things I have been a part of uh, in, a, in a very long time. And it was, uh, I'm looking forward to like listening to your interviews with other people. And it's like, and I just, in this episode, you are going to grow in so many ways you do not know yet. You have no idea the ways that you're going to grow or how you're going to grow or how quickly you're going to, going to grow. Um, the, just don't give up. Just keep plowing through. And you're going, you're going to have difficulties. You're going to have hard times. You're going to have hardships. There are going to be those sleepless nights. It's like, oh, what am I doing? Just plow through that. And you're going, you are going to accomplish a lot with this podcast. Um, and you also, you've got to give yourself a lot of credit. You're doing something incredibly brave and hard. This is not easy. Yeah. Podcasting is not easy. No, it's not. And really, monetizing it, it's never a goal of mine. Uh, I would rather, if I had to choose between the message and having that message um, make an impact and making money, which doesn't happen overnight, right. by the way. But if I had to choose, I would definitely choose the merchant because money is going to evaporate and you can take it with you when you leave. But people will remember the merchant. They will remember your good deeds. They will remember the people you helped along the way. Uh, and it, I'm looking forward to having people be able to tell their stories, their passions, uh, their difficulties to be as authentic as they can. Uh, because we need more authenticity. We need more compassion. We need more empathy. We need more love. Uh, and I'm hoping that I can play a small role in a much larger and grander picture 
than even my wildest imaginations. And remember, I'm a creative writer, yep, so yep. I can come up with some doozies. Uh, but I want to be a part of something that I have no comprehension uh, of. And yeah, at the end of the day, the podcast is what's important. My sometimes dramatic ego it's far less important and trust me, I'm an actor now, so I thrive on people liking <laughs> You love me. the attention. I love the attention, but really, attention is just like money. You, you, you can't take it with you, and it, it fades a lot faster than empowering, motivating, inspiring others to be better versions of themselves and not judge them if they'd stumble along the way. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's the type of story and stories I want to be a part of because if we have more of that in the world, maybe we would all get along better and be less stressed, more happy. Yes, sometimes we will be depressed. That's life. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, John Lennon... He would lovely in a lot of things and imagine seems more like a pipe dream. But he would wanted something. Uh, Buddha said it, Christ said it, uh, all great spiritual teachers. Uh, say the same thing. It's about paving a way for your brother and your sister, treating others like you want to be treated, helping those who need help the most, helping them tell their stories to live out their dreams. Uh, you're not always going to agree. And that's okay. I mean, as shocking yeah. as that is, it's okay not to agree. It's okay. You can still like, you can still love someone uh, and not agree with every thought they have, every action they do. And, but love doesn't choose favorites. Love doesn't demand its own way. Uh, love trusts more than anything else. And 
that's what we need more in this world. Empathy, compassion, uh, assurance that even if we don't believe, we're making a difference. The fact that how we live our lives can affect how someone afterwards lives theirs and hopefully for the better. It's the greatest legacy anyone can ever hope for. I mean, I always tell parents after I meet their children, your legacy is secure. Your children are great. Uh, good job. Uh, and that it's leaving a legacy behind. A little unorthodox? Okay. But a legacy just the same. And then people will come after me, and people will come after them, and they will do things that I could never imagine. That's okay. That's what I want. That's what will make me very happy. Because at the end of the day, when one of us wins, when one of us has a victory, we all benefit from Find out more about the Fedora Chronicles by visiting our website, thefedorachronicles.com. That's where you can find our show notes, past episodes, and articles. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, by simply searching for us on those platforms. Don't forget to join our group on Facebook and follow us on Twitter so that you can keep up with what we will be talking about in the next episode. Facebook, Twitter, and our email address, fedorachronicle at google.com are great ways to drop us a line with your comments and show topic suggestions and if it's any good we promise we will read your comment on the air support the show by contributing to our patreon page patreon.com slash fedora chronicles for mere dollar a month you get early access to the podcast updates on what we're doing and for five dollars a month you get all that and a t-shirt and coffee mug of your choice Terms and conditions apply. Thank you to all of our listeners who are already contributing. You can also support the show and show up your incredible, impeccable taste by buying our merch at zazzle.com slash store slash Fedora Chronicles. The theme songs for the show are Royal Flush and Black Cabaret by Olive Music. All other music on the show is listed on the show page and has been provided to us by Premium Beats from Shutterstock. Copyright The Fedora Chronicles 2020, all rights reserved. On behalf of my co-host Jason and I, this is Eric Renner-King-Fisk signing off and reminding you to keep your chins up and your fedoras on.